the unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to welcome in Buck Rising from A to Z Sports Nashville. Wait till you hear this guy talk about the Titans. Great, great broadcaster. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. And Sands is going to come by to talk a little bit about the Browns game and then preview the upcoming Titans game. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Week 8 Game Review, Cincinnati Bengals versus Tennessee Titans. Alright, the Bengals come to the line with five wide receivers, Burrow in the shotgun. At the top, you have Green, Tate, and Boyd on the left-hand side, and you have Sample and Higgins on the right-hand side. On the pre-snap, we have Sample go in motion, and he's going to look to seal off Jadavian Clowney. When the ball snapped, Burrow's going to roll out to the right side. He's going to have Boyd coming across the field from the slot position, rolling with him. So he's going to have him as an underneath receiver, and we're going to have Higgins going deep. If Jonathan Joseph is in there, we're going to test the veteran early. If he's not, we're going to test his backup, and we're going to be looking downfield for Higgins on the first play. Big splash play, Bengals up 6 nothing. Hello, Titans, here we are. All right, so let's go over some headlines. Carlos Dunlap, thank you for everything, man. What a great player for this team. You're going to go down in history. I am so mad that you didn't get the sack record. You deserved it, my friend. It was just a countdown this year as to when you were going to get it. And obviously now things have changed, but you're still right up there on the list. So really, you made a lot of big plays over your career. All the batted balls, the one interception to end the game against the Colts. Lots of game-breaking plays from you. I wish you well in Seattle. I know you're going to get a sack in your first game out there, so that's no question. Always had a smile on your face. You did great stuff for the community. So here's to you, Carlos. In return for Dunlap, we got B.J. Finney and a seventh-round draft pick. Now, B.J. Finney played four years with Pittsburgh and had 13 starts, so he was in a really good program, and he can only help as depth on the offensive line. And then a seventh-round pick. You guys know how I feel about late-round draft picks. I mean, you never know. You might get a functional player out of that, but that's, that's kind of a throwaway. But in this case, it was a matter of dumping Dunlap's salary and a disgruntled player. So basically anything they could have gotten for him was icing on the cake. And the fact that we got two players for him could amount to something. And then they signed Quentin Spain. 66 starts out of him. And, you know, I was looking, why did things go sour in Buffalo I think they had a second-round guard that they wanted to move to his position, and I guess he was the odd man out. But don't get me wrong, and this is no disrespect to Quentin Spain, teams do not let good offensive linemen go. So I'm hoping there's nothing between the lines or behind the scenes that we don't know about this guy. But either way, I welcome in any offensive lineman with experience at this point. We need the depth. We need the talent there. He did start 66 games. And as a result, we waived Kendall Futrell, who was kind of like the last man on the roster as it was. So it makes sense if you're going to add a new guy that he would probably be the first to go. And as far as injuries this week, this is a key week because we have the bye week coming up. So this is a good chance to get people two weeks of rest, which is going to happen with Mixon. As I've said earlier, no need to rush him back. We're going to need him for years to come. And Jonah Williams with the stinger is probably going to sit out this week too. But you know, that's good. Let him get two weeks off as well. He can analyze some game tape on this Titans game. I'm sure it'll help in his development. He's been getting better and better every week, hoping that he's back strong against the Steelers because we're really going to need him for that game. And then Hopkins with the concussion is going to be out. And you know how I feel about that. When guys get a concussion, give them a couple weeks. You can't rush these guys back within a week. 
You know, it's all fun and games when it's not a knee. But those concussions, when you retire, they start adding up on you. It's, it's life-changing. So I'm always a fan of resting a player for multiple weeks coming off a concussion. Bobby Hart with the knee injury. Hoping that you're doing well, Bobby. That was, a, that was a nasty one. I hate when guys get rolled up on. You know, you're blocking your heart out against the guy in front of you. And then, you know, a 200 to 300 pounder falls on the back of your leg. It's that, that's a tough injury to take. And I'm real sensitive about those knee injuries as well. John Ross with an illness. I'm not sure the status of him. I'm hoping that this isn't like a new excuse every week to not activate him. I don't know what's going on there. If you're ill, John, please get better because I do want to see you get some productive snaps this season. And Darius Phillips hasn't practiced this week or he missed a couple days of practice with a knee, so I'm not sure of his status. So moving back to the offensive line, we're going to have three new starters in there. So the substitute offensive linemen are going to have a big factor in this game. And don't think they might not bring one of the new guys off the bench to help out if these guys are really having a hard time. And then lastly, I always like to talk about the Joe Burrow interview for the week because he's my favorite player. And he always says cool things and relatable things and really sensical things. I don't know if he's getting coached by his agent or if he has a, a media guy who's giving him help on what to say, but he always says the perfect things. If it's coming purely from you, Joe, man... You really got charisma. But regardless, you're always saying the things that we want to hear, and it just makes me like you even more and more as a player and a person. Regarding Dunlap, Joe said that he didn't even know that it happened, which I like. He was like, I, I, I'm not responsible for transactions. I just come to work ready to do my job. Boom. Come on, man. You can't not like that. He had great things to say about Coach Taylor, Coach Callahan, and Coach Pitcher. And it didn't seem like he was just saying it to say it. I think he genuinely has a connection with these guys, and they're genuinely helping him. And let's be honest, he's lighting it up with 300-yard games. So whatever they're teaching him is working, regardless of if you're a Coach Taylor fan or not. Joe Burrow is progressing with Coach Taylor at the helm. And then Joe goes into the fact that he doesn't care about stats and accolades and records. It's about wins and losses. And that, and that really is what it's about. Because he's going to set a bunch of records this year. So in the offseason, we're going to have a bunch of material to brag about Burrow and to be bright for the future. But the reality is, it's the wins that count, right? If, if Burrow averaged 200 yards a game right now, but we, we won 11 games this year, we'd be thrilled. More thrilled than, you know, him breaking all these records and not going to the playoffs. And then Dave Lapham had a great question on when he's off the field, how much time does he dedicate away from football or towards football? And I love it. He's just like me. He's like, I watch the Monday night game. I watch the Thursday night game. He probably watches the Sunday night game. He just is all about football. But he also did say that he likes to get an hour or two a day to clear his head and get away from it. And you have to. No matter how dedicated you are to something, no matter how focused you are, you have to take a little bit of a mental break. And I like what he said. He said that when he gets home, you know, he takes an hour or so to regroup and just, you know, be a, be a human being. And then the best was, he said before he goes to bed, he likes to clear his head for an hour and not think about football. And that is a way of him getting sleep and not just obsessing over the game plan while he's tossing and turning in bed. So all good stuff out of you, Joe. Keep it up, man. You are the main man in Cincinnati, and you will be for a long time. All right, so what are my concerns for this week? As always, if you guys have listened to the podcast, you know where I'm at. You have to protect Joe Burrow. And with two new tackles this game, it could be a disaster. This game is going to be a lot of trouble for us. That defensive line doesn't have a ton of sacks, but you have Landry, Beasley, Simmons, who's playing the best out of all of them. 
and Jadavian Clowney. So you have four really good defensive linemen that are going to be coming at him all day. And they're going to be smart. They're going to test the waters. They're going to start with the four-man pressure and, and see how well that's working. And if they're just beating our guys one-on-one, they're going to have seven guys in coverage. It's going to be really tough to get off anything, even with five wide receivers. And if we begin to stop the defensive line, then they're going to start bringing in the blitzes that we've seen the other teams do to us. You know, they're watching tape on the Browns game and the Colts game and seeing how successful they were blitzing defensive backs and, and whatnot and just being exotic with the blitzes, especially against three new offensive linemen. So they're going to try to confuse these guys. So I think that they're going to start just with a mono e mono philosophy, and then they're going to start throwing in all these crazy wrinkles. And, you know, just watch out for Bayard on that safety blitz. I can see them going to that play a few times, and we've had a very tough time picking up that play as an offensive line. So that's what scares me this week, the pressure on Burrow and the blitzes that we're not ready for because we don't have a line that has played together for a while. The other thing that is a concern on offense and could get us in trouble this game is a run-pass mix. This team's tough to run on, and we don't have Mixon. Although Gio had a great game and he's a totally capable back, I have total faith in you, Gio, no lie. But if they're able to stop the run game with their front seven, and then our run-pass mix gets really disoriented and we're throwing like two passes to every one run and just not having that balance, that's going to open the door for them to blitz and really go after Burrow. So you want to hope for balance in this game, but if they're shutting down the run game, we're just going to have to do whatever we can to move the ball. So there's a lot of things when we're on offense to look out for that could be trouble spots this game. They remind me a lot of the Colts, really. A lot of players that aren't household names, but just a a totally stacked lineup of, of really good athletes and good players, and it reflects in their record. All right, so when we're on defense, we all know what we have to do, and that is stop Derrick Henry. He can light you up at any given moment in the game. If you're a team that struggles against big backs, and I think that we do a little bit, this game's going to fall right into Henry's pocket. And they have a really good offensive line as well. And then that brings in the Tannehill factor, who's having a great season. You know, he's not the guy that you think of when you think of the best quarterbacks in the league, but he's winning down there, I'll tell you. So with the fact that Henry is going to be very effective against any team he plays, and probably against our defense based on our run rankings... So what's going to happen is they're going to use play action a lot too. Once Henry starts getting some yardage on us, we're going to really be keying on him, and that's going to open the door for play action. And they have some receivers. You know, A.J. Brown, who I wish the Bengals would have drafted at the time. Corey Davis, he's going to be one of those guys. Like, we're probably going to shut down A.J. Brown. We might even do something against Henry for a while. And then you watch Corey Davis will be the guy like Higgins was for the Browns that gets this 100-yard game. Not trying to be cynical, but I've seen it before. Their tight end, Smith, is pretty highly ranked as well, so I don't know if they're going to be looking for him, but it seems like a good fit for that play-action game. And Tannehill's not really a a long-down-the-field guy from what I see, so he's going to be looking for his tight end as well. So those are the things to be concerned about when we're on defense. So what would I do? How would I approach this game if I was the Cincinnati Bengals coaching staff? How do you beat a team that's on top of the AFC, basically? I think it's going to be a game that we're going to have to work the passing game. And I know it sounds counterintuitive to what I'm saying before, but I don't think that we're going to be able to run on these guys. And then again, I don't think that we're going to have a ton of time to sit back and throw. And we're going to see a couple things out of them. You know, they're going to go into that zone coverage when they're sending the four defensive linemen. And there's going to be very few windows for Joe to find. I, I don't doubt that he will. 
but they're going to come at us with two different schemes. And then when they start doing the blitzing, you're going to see some more man coverage. And they have a good secondary. Uh, Jackson's supposed to be coming back this week. I don't know if Jonathan Joseph is playing, but if he does, he's a solid veteran. I mean, no matter how long he's been in the league. And Jonathan, thank you for your service in Cincinnati, man. You were always one of my favorites when you were here. And then you got Butler and Byard as, as safety. So th- there's problems out there. And when they're in man, they're going to challenge us. You know, they're going to say, can Higgins beat Joseph? Can Boyd beat Butler? Can Green beat Jackson? And you know what? I think they can. But we're going to have to keep Joe Burrow moving. We're going to be rolling him out. Again, the short passing game, five wide receivers, blast out the ball quick, a lot of those slants. I don't mean to be redundant over what I was saying last week in the game plan, but you kind of have to. You really think that Joe is going to be able to take seven steps and look downfield all day? It's, it's highly unlikely. I'm not saying that we can't get off a deep ball or two with the right scheme and right play call, but they're going to test us when they're in man, and when they're in zone, it's going to be tough to throw. So this might be a game as well for Sample and Geo on that middle level. Burrow's been finding Sample a lot, and I, I predict this game he's going to get a handful of catches as well. And you can't go wrong throwing running back passes to Geo, whether it's a screen or a swing pass out of the backfield, or even just set him up in the slot and let him run a, a quick pattern. So against a team that's solid and well-balanced like this, there's not a whole lot you can do. So we're going to have to hope on individual performances. Let's scheme it up right. Let's put Burrow in as minimal harm's way as possible. And let's let our superstars go out there and be superstars. Defensively, what do you do? It's, I'm not going to go on about this. We know what we need to do. First off, let's have William Jackson shadow Brown. As long as Will Jack is okay. If we take out Brown with just one guy, we're going to have a lot more guys available to start stopping Henry. And then again, don't let Corey Davis beat you, please. So ultimately, we sell out to stop Derrick Henry. You have to have three linebackers on the field most of the time. It can't be these dime personnel with lighter guys. He's going to run over even our toughest of safeties. He does it with everybody. So truthfully, the more linebackers on the field, the better. And the secondary, the corners in particular, are going to have to be disciplined because they're going to see a ton of play action. You know, if, if they're looking to jump on Henry on, on a short running play, it could bite him because I know that we're going to see a lot of play action this game. All right, so what's my prediction for the game? I'm thinking that we score early with a big play, jump out to a little bit of a lead. We see the Titans kind of come back, and it's one of those games where you're like, oh, they're going to get us, they're going to get us. And then I think we're going to be leading by a field goal late in the game, and Gostowski's going to be called upon to make either a game-winning or a game-tying field goal, and he's going to miss it. 2-5-1 and one Bengal team. Everyone's happy because we beat one of the best teams in the AFC. We go into the bye, get rested, and come back out and just go after Pittsburgh. I don't care. 6-0, and 9-0, 20-0. We're going to go after those guys, and I'm going to be right there on every snap. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Buck Rising from A to Z Sports Nashville. All right, we're here with Buck Rising, a Titans expert. Buck, how are you today? Doing wonderful, Frank. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being on. All right, let me ask you the one main question that's on my mind. Why are the Titans going to beat the Bengals this week? Well, if they are to have success, which, by the way, I don't believe to be any kind of guarantee for as terrible as their defense looks, giving up 60% 
of their third down conversions this year. Uh, if they do it, it's because the offense gets right after a tough game against Pittsburgh. Ryan Tannehill was totally fine against the Steelers in the second half, but it took them that first half to kind of get their feet under him and, and Roethlisberger throwing two interceptions. They lead the league in turnover differential despite how bad their defense is on third down, and so one would have to think that with a rookie quarterback and a lack of offensive line, it seems, that you guys have there in Cincinnati, the pass rush that has, to this point, been neutered by every team that they've faced with Jadavion Clowney, Vic Beasley, Harold Landry. Jeffrey Simmons is a good player, but outside of that, nobody's really been able to get home. If the pressure gets right against any team, I would have to imagine that it would be since he given all the struggles that they've had. So if, if I had to look at anything as to what would cause the Titans to have success in Cincy, it would be the offense gets more steam under them. Derrick Henry has more than 72 rushing yards which he had against Pittsburgh, not his season low, but the second lowest total thus far through six games, and that the defense finally starts to look a little bit competent, even even if it's only because the Bengals' offense. And it's not like the Bengals struggle on offense, but uh, just off the pure fact that they can't seem to protect Burrow very well. Yeah, I'll tell you, the Steelers corralled Henry more than most teams do because obviously they have a great defense. What do you think the run-pass mix is going to be against the Bengals? I mean, honestly, they're pretty balanced. Like, they don't they don't really lean one way or the other. Derek typically gets around 20 carries, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on what the chunk plays look like. But they consistently run the ball with him, whether he's struggling or not it just kind of it's like a like a little bit of a boxing match with Derek because he doesn't look to be hugely effective through the first three quarters but after a certain amount of time when a 250 pound running back is trying to run through your face mask he does break those big chunk plays in the fourth quarter once defenses are worn down so I I, for for them honestly any more than 20 attempts for Tannehill means that they're chasing which is not something that they like to do. And about 20 carries per game for Henry, even though he's leading the league in carries without a, uh, without a week uh, of the season, given that they had to you know, take a, an unofficial bye. Uh, I, would say, I would say that the balance between run and pass, if they are doing things correctly, uh, should look about 20 attempts for the both of them between the rushing game and the passing game. Early in the game, I've seen Henry with not a lot of yards, as you said, and then it seems like by the end of every game, he seems to go over 100, you know, for a touchdown or two. Yeah, and they're 16 and 0 when he makes uh, when he gets over 100 yards. So that's kind of been the recipe for success. Now, you know, that's kind of a it's a flawed stat because obviously, if the running back is piling up yards at the end of the game, that means that typically that's the team that's in control, and so that's more likely the cause for success that they've scored early, that they've gotten out to a lead, that they've caused turnovers and scored off the turnovers that they've been able to grab, and that the running back is just a product of a lead, and they try to keep it by killing the clock with him. So, you know, the, the 16 and 0 stat is, is a little, uh, a little overinflated in terms of actual relevancy, but they, I mean, they do live up to the hype in that regard. And he is uh, a threat to break one at any given point. Those, those 94 yard, 99 yard runs that he has, he's got more 200, uh, as many 200 yard games since 2018 as the rest of the NFL, three of them in the past three years. So he is, uh, while he may not seem like he's being hugely effective 
early on, it is late in the game, late in the down when you have to pay attention to them because they're the only team that has a four-minute or two-minute offense that involves a 250-pound running back that can't catch. <laughs> that can't catch. I love it. And, you know, you're right when you say that about the inflated stat with the 16-0 and because you, you do run when you have the lead, just like how you see some bad teams have quarterbacks that put up big yardage. Like Stafford has, has had a few really large yardage seasons, and a lot of that was because he, he was playing from behind most of the time. Oh, without question, and and like like he's I, I don't want to diminish what Derrick Henry is because that seems that seems to be kind of the the preference, although less and less so lately because he is a running back that does not contribute in the passing game. He is inherently devalued by analytics people in football, which which kind of ignores what they are as an offense. It may not be up to the efficiency standards as say, you know, a Joe Mixon or a Christian McCaffrey and the and the contract reflects as such the deal that they gave him in the offseason where he's making about twelve and a half million dollars annually as opposed to the rest of the highly paid running backs who were fifteen, sixteen, sixteen and a half with the guys that got extensions this year and Zeke Elliott. So I I I look at him as a bit of an anomaly in a sport uh, in a sport that has been more pass heavy here in the last couple of years, but he still gets it done when necessary. He leads, as I mentioned, he leads the league in rushing yards, 663. He's got seven uh, rushing touchdowns tied atop because you know he's a skyscraper running back, and if you get to the goal line, just let him fall forward for a couple of yards. Without a doubt, and last year in the playoffs, it seemed like he was the the best player in the playoffs as as the as the games went on. He was just having an incredible ending of last season. It's tough to stop, especially when he can throw touchdowns to Corey Davis on his birthday in Baltimore to upset the Ravens and and do all of the things, break NFL records that he did throughout the course of the playoffs because they didn't ask Tannehill to do that much. Now, this year, this year's a little different. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is, despite that loss last week, I mean, I still consider him to be very much in the MVP conversation, as silly as that sounds, in, what are we in, in week eight? People have tried to, again, diminish him because of what they know him to be or knew him to be in Miami, and that the play-action game, the strength of their offense, is so much because of the attraction or the the attention, rather, that Derrick Henry attracts from defenses who are trying to snuff out the run that Ryan Tannehill's just able to eat. And some of that's true, but also Tannehill's playing quarterback at a very, very high level. Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator here, is being discussed as a potential head coaching candidate after the year with all the success that they've had with this offense. Uh, it's it's a much different franchise from when I first got here about five years ago and started covering them. They they score, and they can keep up with you, and they can put up 17 points in the fourth quarter to try and make it a, a tie game to go to overtime unless, you know, the kicker misses a 45-yard field goal. I'll tell you, the kicker's been hurting you guys this year. I'm surprised. I guess he's kind of reaching the end of his, end of his career, and he's real up and down. That could be a tough spot for you guys as you get on with the season. Well, especially, I mean, you guys, uh, you, you know, for for watching so much AFC North football, that Cincinnati in October, later in the year, more more so, uh, I'm sure, but uh, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, all of these Cleveland, uh, all of these AFC North teams, where the weather is so uh, so much less, you know, uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot different than it is down here in Nashville, where it's 60 degrees on October 28th and and really not a cloud in the sky. Uh, Goskowski is multiple-time All-Pro, a Super Bowl winner, one of the best kickers in NFL history. And this year, he's you know he's making sixty-two percent of his field goals because he's coming off hip surgery. He's this is his fifteenth year. At some point, 
we are going to see, uh, you know, for, for any player, even even at the kicker position, their powers diminish as they age. And some of it, by the way, as is special teams caps. I don't, I don't consider all of these things to be on Goskowski's head. It's to the point now where, he, you know, he misses his first four kicks in their season opener at Denver. And whether all of those are his fault or not, the attention is hyper-focused on whatever he'll do moving forward. And, and thus to this point, you know, he went on to make three game-winning kicks to start their season. They didn't need him to do it against Buffalo or Houston, but he, you know, he had the opportunity to send them to overtime again against uh, against Pittsburgh over this past weekend, and he simply couldn't do it. So with with all that being said, it's as much their own fault for getting down 20, uh, 27-7 to start that game, the defense played much better. They uh, intercepted Ben a couple times, partly because of Ben's fault, also partly because the defensive front is really good at tipping up passes for uh, for their linebackers and corners and safeties to make interceptions of opposing quarterbacks. But uh, the kicker at this point is leaves leaves much to be desired. But I'll be honest with you, they were making forty four percent of their field goals last year with five different kickers. So this is you know, this is borderline a breath of fresh air. Wow, I didn't realize those stats. You know, let me yeah, ask you. Stink. Yeah, that that's pretty crazy stuff. Let me ask you about another player too that I was wondering about. What's what's going on with Clowney? I really haven't heard much about him. I know he's in the starting lineup, but how, how is he performing this year? So, if you box score scout him, which has been the the way that people have done it throughout the course of his career since being a number one overall pick, you are left with much to be desired because he doesn't get sacks, which is the the knock on him why he was still out on the market what six seven months. In the free agency, he grades out really well on pro football focus for however seriously you want to take those metrics that they do. I know you always got to look at them with a grain of salt. When quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball the way that they do, with Ben averaging 2.02 seconds from snap to throw, which is insane, nobody's going to get a pass rush. But he has not been able to get to the quarterback with consistency. The pressures are there. The sacks are not, and and you can you know you can call that a disappointment if you want, especially for the for the twenty two and a half million dollars that they're paying between he and Vic Beasley to not get home to the quarterback, given that pass rush was their greatest need coming into the year. You'd like to see more. He's great against the run. The pass leaves something to be desired, and that knee injury that he's had all throughout the year. I don't know how much it's inhibiting him, but he had to come off the field for for a good chunk of that game against Pittsburgh, uh, had to be carried off the field, and then he came back in the game. So I'm not quite sure the severity of that, but it does seem to be bogging him down. You know, you introduced me to a new phrase, this box score scouting thing. You're, you're very right on that. It's easy for someone like me outside of the Tennessee market to just look at the box score and say, oh, he didn't have any sacks, he had one tackle, one assist, it's not a good day for him. But if you watch the team on, a, on an every-down basis, I guess you see a lot more. And that's what I see with a lot no, of No, 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 Frank, Frank, Frank. I mean, listen, that pissed at him here too. Don't, don't make, don't, don't, <laughs> don't make, uh, don't, don't let me, uh, don't let me sound like I'm explaining away the lack of production. Like he needs to do more, regardless of box score scouting or not. And Titans fans are pissed at him, and Titans media want to know why he doesn't do more. So it, you're, you're not completely off base. I'm just saying that the box score scouting, to a degree can do a disservice to players like Clowney, but he still needs to get sacks. Buck, what do you think the final score of the game is going to be? Man, I uh, I laughed when you sent me that text talking about what we were going to talk about today and, and including a uh, game score prediction because 
anybody who has you know access to the the shows that i do here in tennessee knows how much i hate hate score predictions i think it's the biggest waste of gas bagging that we do in this industry given you know how uncertain the games could be but i i, I without giving you a score prediction and and uh, and doing and uh, capitulating to the foolishness that i uh, that i try so hard to fight against I would say that the Titans probably have the advantage in this game. And I think Burrow's going to give them a hard time because, again, they can't get off the field on third down. But I uh, I would imagine that if it's a close game between Tennessee and Cincinnati, it's only because there are garbage time stats had by Joe Burrow. I love it, man. You're bringing in all these new phrases, teaching me a lot. It's excellent stuff. Buck, how do people find you on social media? Uh, you can go to a to z sports a t o z sports on twitter on instagram on facebook you can follow us there uh i do a couple live shows uh sunday night to thursday night a to z sports prime time at 8 p.m central time and the 615 sessions podcast twice a week wherever it is that you get your podcast thanks frank afc north standings the bengals are currently one five and one and they trail the first-place Steelers by five games. You have the Steelers at 6-0, and and the Ravens at 5-1, and and those two teams play each other this week, and I'm always hoping for a bloodbath when they play. And then we have the Browns at 5-2. and The Bengals are currently the 13th seed in the AFC. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, bud? All right, my friend. So what's on your mind? Well, uh, looks like uh, the first thing is um, the Carlos Dunlap situation. Seems like he was traded to uh, Seattle. Something had to be done. I mean, he really uh, went after, you know, the organization. I'm sure Mike Brown didn't want to pull the trigger to show that, well, if you voice your displeasure, you can get out of here. You know, like the Carson Palmer situation stood firm to his uh to his uh, threat that uh you know you're under contract but this situation had to be addressed he had to go so seattle you know hey they need pass russian help and um even though he had his opportunities in cincinnati to do it he he didn't produce so you know glad to see that a team was willing to trade for him. So they got some cap help by somebody taking him uh, instead of just have to cut him and then they'd have to eat all of the cap hit. And they got a, I guess, a backup center in return. I wouldn't do cartwheels over the guy. Um, he's a career backup. So, you know, just a body for the rest of the year. Um, and it's, I guess, a seventh round draft choice. So, you know, now Duke Tobin and Mike Brown are collecting those seventh rounders so they can, you know, take more than one guy in the seventh round to help this team. Glad that's out of the way and they can move on. Uh, the game Sunday, uh, again, another frustrating loss, but I was really impressed with the offense. In fact, Taylor called a great game, made the Cleveland defense guess. Uh, a lot of guys motion and, and got the ball to different guys in different ways. The only question I have is, 
You mean to tell me John Ross couldn't play and you couldn't get the ball in his hands like the way they were getting the ball in people's hands Sunday? It just, that's the only thing I question. You know, at least if anything, just to, to showcase him and maybe get, you know, a drop pick for him. But, you know, maybe they'll be happy with a, another seventh rounder and they'll have three. I feel this team is two offensive linemen away that they could be a playoff offense. You know, Burl, we've touted his praises from day one. Defense is another uh, total uh, scenario. They can't stop Cleveland's running backs. I mean, that's one of the things. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, once again, had a great game against the Bengals. I mean, he was throwing some passes that, dare I say, Joe Burrow-like. But, uh, you know, overall, I thought it was a, a good showing, and this is what you want. You know, they're not going to win games. They're going to win a few, but nothing to even look like a playoff team. But at least show you're competitive. That's all I personally would want to see. And if they can get a... a next year's draft get a few starters out of that on impact positions that you know now you're starting to talk about playoffs you know on defense they need a lot of help i don't know if it's the scheme or you know the the lack of talent especially the defensive tackles and the pass rushers but uh yeah that's all you want to see is improving each week and then next year hopefully it becomes a regular normal offseason and a normal season that they can really build upon. Tom, that's what I like about your takes. You're always thinking of the big picture. It's not just about the game that passed. You're always thinking of, you know, how are we going to build this thing for the future? So I, I love those takes on it. So let's move along to the Titans game. I'm going to say you're going to lose. Titans are really good. You know, they can't stop the run. Bengals, so you're going to get a lot of uh, Derrick Henry. I just think Tennessee's playing at a level that they're, you know, playoffs and maybe AFC championship talent. Like I said earlier, competitive. You know, if you can be in scoring distance, one or two scores in the fourth quarter, like we said in previous podcasts, that's all you can ask for from this team. So uh, it'll be an interesting game, but uh, I just don't think the Bengals had the talent to compete with Tennessee. I hear you on that. Tennessee is definitely one of the major forces in the AFC at this point. You know what? We'll see what happens. Let's have some fun watching the game. And Tom, again, thank you for coming on, bro. No problem, Frank. Thanks for having me. X's and O's with Sands. All right, we're here with Sands. Sands, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? All right, my friend. So what are your thoughts on the Browns game and everything Bengals at this point? Tough loss, definitely. Score with two minutes left, you expect to win, but we'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) It was definitely good and bad, and I think you can tell what's good and what was bad. The good was the offense, and the bad was the defense and allowing Mayfield to throw God knows how many passes in a row complete before that spike. On offense, I thought things were 
nice. They're interesting. I thought there was good design from Taylor. It's good play calling. Actually, I think this might have been one of Taylor's best called games. There's a, we run a new run play. It's called a, a zone with a fold, and it really maximizes what Bobby Hart is, is good at. He's athletic, and well, I don't know if he has the greatest football IQ. If he can get on somebody, he can move them, especially in the run game. So the idea is it's like inside zone where you're taking a step that way, except uh, so the guard on the, let's say on the right side. So the guard on the right side is going to wall off the nearest threat, probably a defensive tackle or a defensive end. The play call is going right off of his left side. And instead of a normal call where Bobby would, or the right tackle would step with him and then take the next guy, he's going to actually come in behind him, kind of like he's pulling, but it's not a real pull. He comes in behind him, he just takes the first linebacker, like he's leading an ISO. It's similar to our, we run an insert ISO with a tight end. And I just thought this was a really smart play call because Bobby's fast enough to move from the right tackle up into the second level, and he can move a linebacker. And he had a great game, and I think this was a big reason for it. We were calling plays to help him out. We ran some more insert ISO plays, which I like, especially if we can start getting some play action off of it, getting sample into the middle of the field and seeing what we can do there. I just thought it was a really well-called game. Uh, Jonah gave up that one sack, but the play clock, I believe, was running down. Boyd called, tried to call a timeout. And if you're giving Miles Garrett a knowledge of the snap count, he's beating any left tackle in the league. I don't know. I can't blame Jonah too much for that. It is his fault, but it was a very difficult position to be put into. And then there's that, no, I thought our last touchdown call was fantastic. We motioned Geo. He was out wide on the right. We motioned him left. You see that the guy's trailing him, so it's man coverage. And he's going to shoot right in like a fly motion. We snap the ball while he's running, fake the handoff to freeze everybody else, and then just give him the ball out there, and he was able to score. One thing that I think people were noticing around the NFL, at least on Twitter, was uh, his pass blocking, which I've always thought was fantastic. And with him being the featured back, he got more opportunities. So he finally got the credit uh, for doing the dirty work, which he's always done. When it comes to the defense, uh, we gave up all five passing touchdowns in man coverage. Bell was responsible for, I believe, two of them. Pratt fell down on another. And then the other two, I didn't like the call. I didn't want to blame anybody, um, specifically the last one. So if we go about that last drive, Darius Phillips was manned up on Donovan Peoples-Jones. On paper, I think that's fine. He got beat deep on a nine fly route, just running down the field and making a catch. So you would think, let's give him some help. But instead, after they spike the ball, there's like, what, 21 seconds left or something. Lou Anarumo tries to disguise our defense. So we had both safeties deep, and Bates was on the hash mark away from Darius Phillips and Bell was on the hash mark near him. But instead of playing a two-deep safety coverage to defend deep and to the outside, we played cover one robber. So 
Bell would play the underneath area in the middle of the field. What are we defending the middle of the field 10 yards short of the end zone for? Do we think we're going to get an interception? What do you think they're going to call? They're calling plays to the sidelines. They have like 21 seconds to score here. They've already got it probably tied up. I'd rather try to see Parkey hit a 40-yard field goal than for them to get a touchdown or anything, quick score. Anyway, so regarding the middle of the field where they don't want to go anyway, they run four verticals, just four guys sprinting down the field. Bates is on the opposite hash from Phillips, who just got beat for a giant play. There is no chance that he can play the middle of the field from that side and then give Phillips help. Phillips plays trail. I think he does an okay job staying in position, and then when he jumps up, he's just no... I don't know if that was a lack of ball skills or if he was just a little bit short, but he completely whiffed. And they score the game-tying touchdown. Sorry, the winning touchdown, not the game-tying. And I just hate that play call. We're giving no help to the guy that just got beat. We're defending the middle of the field 10 yards short of the end zone. That's where we want them to go. Waste time. We want to protect deep. We weren't getting any pressure on any of these plays really either. Their offensive line's good, but it's the same story it's been for the whole year where we're not getting any pressure. But that was the play call that led to the fight with Dunlap and Anarumo. And honestly, I'm on Dunlap's side. That was a stupid call in my mind. I think that's one of the worst play calls I've seen. And accounting for the situation, probably the worst play call, in my opinion, that I've seen Anarumo make. So what are you thinking about the Titans game? I think it'll be tough, especially if we're missing all three of those linemen that got hurt. And I I think Adeniji played pretty well in replacement of Bobby Hart. I thought Price played decent, and I thought uh, Fred Johnson didn't play well. But, I mean, two out of three played okay. So it's going to be tough. I know they don't have, like, many sacks, but I think that they still have talent on the defensive line, even if they're not ending up in sacks. Harold Landry, he's a good number two pass rusher. He's a talented young player. The next best, I think, on their defensive line is Clowney, who I think is a good player, but he's better against the run. He can move anywhere along the defensive line and make a run stop. He can beat anybody, guard, center, tackle, and he can two-gap, which is which opens up a lot for a defense where he's taking not one, but both of the gaps so he'll just play the offensive lineman and shed the block in the way that the run is going and that's tough to try to run against and then Jeffrey Simmons I think is their best defensive lineman he's a fantastic defensive tackle he's probably going to cause some trouble for us especially with Hopkins probably out and then both our tackles are out for Landry and Clowney so that'll be a little bit rough they have a good safety in Bayard but they're depleted on cornerback I believe Adore Jackson is on IR and that was really their only good cornerback in general we're probably going to have a decent game throwing the ball when Burrow doesn't get hit hopefully that we can keep him hopefully we can keep him pretty clean like we have the past two games on offense I think that there is a notion that zone running is for small backs and power running is for big backs but the Titans have run more zone. At least last year, they ran more zone than powers. And he's a nightmare to bring down. They have a pretty good offensive line, but Taylor Lewan got hurt, and he was probably the best member on that offensive line. So Lawson might be able to get some pressure. I mean, they've got one fantastic receiver in A.J. Brown, and 
we've struggled against tight ends all year, and John o. Smith seems to be having a breakout year for them. If we put Von Bell on him, we're probably going to give some stuff up, just like we did this week to Bryant with Bell on him in man coverage. And that's one thing where you're picking your battles where you don't want to play zone, so you want to play man, but now we have Von Bell manned up, and he's been a liability in man coverage all year. And, but it looks like William Jackson will be back, so I think William Jackson... I would shadow A.J. Brown with William Jackson. If they beat us with Corey Davis, they beat us with Corey Davis. Sands, who's going to win the game, Titans or Bengals? I picked the Bengals last week, and it burned me. So I think I'm going to do the do something that I was told, I think, back in high school. Is, uh, I'm going to have low expectations where I think the Titans beat us. I think it's close enough. I think, it, I think the Titans beat us. So that way, if we win, I'm, I'm extra happy. <laughs> Going with low expectations, just with our backup linemen and everything going that way. And, I mean, they're fantastic at the two spots on offense that we are the worst at on defense and tight end and their running game. I don't think it'll be a high, high-scoring game. So I'll say 28-24, the Titans win. Uh, all right. Well, you know what? I'm just going to have fun watching the game. I'm with you on the expectations. You know, we'll see what happens for the rest of the season. But in the meantime, it's... Fun to have Bengals football, and I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. Yeah, at least we're fun to watch this year. <laughs> like last year, there were games that I had no fun watching. Got you on that, brother. All right, I'll catch you soon, Sans. Yeah, I'll talk to you later. Handicapper's Corner. The unofficial Bengals podcast current record is 10 wins, 11 losses, 47%. All right, so my three picks for the week are going to be Browns and Raiders over 49.5, Packers minus 6 at home versus the Vikings, and Pittsburgh plus 4.5 at Ravens. That kills me to have to pick Pittsburgh, but I think they're going to beat the Ravens. So those are the three games that I'm going to be betting on this week. Whatever you decide to bet, I wish you good luck. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be entirely dedicated to reviewing the Titans game. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you guys should check out. And I'd also like to thank the ZDA Network, the network responsible for bringing you the unofficial Bengals podcast and all these great guests that I keep having on the show. You can find them at ZDA Network on Instagram and Twitter. And ZDA is just like the word media, only with a Z. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca. And I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.